0: everyone. Before we get started, we just wanted to take a moment of silence to remember the 215 young lives lost at the Kamloops Residential School, as well as many others throughout our history. This episode was recorded before the world got a chance to mourn, and we wanted to pay our respects. The Whitby Public Library also acknowledges that we are on the treaty and traditional territory of the Mississaugas of Scugog Island, First Nation. May we respectfully honor the knowledge and understanding of the Indigenous stewards of these ancestral lands and ensure that the voices of the First Peoples are represented in our collections, programs, and services. Thank you so much and enjoy the episode.
1: All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Whippy Public Library podcast, Doorway to Discovery. Uh, So today we are going to be talking about some books for National Indigenous History Month. Um, So my name is Kylie, my pronouns are she, her.
0: My name is Kate, and my pronouns are she, her.
2: My name is Sherry, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm with the Whitby Public Library, Brooklyn Branch.
1: Awesome. So we do have our special guest today, Sherry. So Sherry is here today to um, join us to talk about some awesome books for this month. I um, have a book, a graphic novel here. This one is called This Place, 150 Years Retold. Um, the author is actually a, quite a, um, there's a wide range of authors, there's a lot of different authors for this one, but the um, editor is Kateri uh, Ake- Dam. Dam, um, and there is also a foreword written by Alicia Elliott. Um, so this one is a graphic novel that covers um, Canadian history retold um, from 1850 all the way up to present, and then also into the future. Um, it's a bunch of short graphic novels. Um, And I wanted to show just a few panels from it. So we have Annie of Red River. It's beautiful art. And I really, really love about this graphic novel that each short story um, not only was told by a different author, but it also has a timeline attached to it. So you can see there, it kind of gives you some context before, during, and after the story, uh, which I really enjoyed. It was just like a great way of learning about a lot of different stories. And there's actually some stuff that I remember learning about in high school that was just kind of touched upon that I learned a lot more about simply from reading this graphic novel. So I think that that's a great thing from books is that you can take something that you know a little bit about, and then you can dive deeper into it and learn a lot more. So this one, it covers, um, there's sections from World War One. there's a soldier who um, is, let's see if I can find it, there we go, um, an indigenous soldier who fought in World War I and it's his story. There's just a lot of really great stories in here um, that cover a lot of different time periods and a lot of different people. Yeah, that
0: was uh, what I took for this week. Uh, My pick for this month was Johnny Appleseed by Joshua Whitehead. Uh, It was the Canada Reads winner for this year and long listed for the Scotiabank Giller Prize and so many other things. It deserves all of the accolades it got. This was an incredible read. It's a little hard to describe because it doesn't follow a typical novel path it's sort of a slice of life novel and it looks at different time periods during the main character's life it it describes him as a two-spirit indigiqueer uh person and uh so it shows his relationship with um the first love of his life and and his grandmother and his mother and his community and it takes place in Winnipeg And uh, so it talks about, first of all, his adolescence in growing up on uh, the residence just outside of Winnipeg and then his big move into the city and sort of his the different expectations that he had and what life he imagined for himself until um, he actually arrived in the city. And uh, so the book just follows. Um, He's supposed to be returning to the reservation for the first time um since leaving because his uh he needs to attend the funeral of um his stepfather and so the book kind of follows the week leading up to that as he's trying to raise money to make the trip back to the reservation and um during that week he just thinks back on all the different um important stories that made him who he is and all the different relationships that made him who he is so it's a fantastic read uh it made me cry multiple times um it's just beautiful so i highly recommend this book 100 percent um
2: i read uh seven fallen feathers it was a really difficult decision to choose which book i wanted to talk about this month but i think this is one read that um, a lot of Canadians really need to read here. Uh, It is written by Tanya Talega, who is a journalist with the Toronto Star for the last 20 years. So this is written back in 2017. So she's been with them for quite a few years. Um, It has won a long list of prizes. It's long listed for CBC's Canada Reads, Globe and Mail top books, uh, National Post top books. Uh, and it's been a national bestseller. It's it's a difficult read. Um, I've started it before, <laughs> and I finally came back at it. Um, I uh, did it by book and by audiobook at the same time, and I would recommend both of them. If you prefer audiobook, definitely it was well done. Uh, the The narrator is Tanya herself, and the um, just the tone is is it's somber at times, but it's also hopeful at times. Um, the story starts with a visit. Back in 2011, she was up in the Thunder Bay area with the chief of the NAN, which is a big organization of the reserves up in that area. and It covers like 45,000 people or so. And that's First Nation members. And she, um, was up there to try to promote voting in the 2011 election and how important it was um, that, you know, the national, the Indigenous voice was really important and to actually take that responsibility and vote because we had um, a conservative leadership at the time that was really trampling over Indigenous rights. And when she was sitting in the office with oh uh, the... I can't remember the gentleman's name. Um, he said, he kept saying, you know, why aren't you doing a story about um, Justin Wabas? He's, you know, he's been missing for quite a while now and uh, 70 days. And she hadn't heard anything about it at the time. And uh, finally she, he, he, it was a kind of a back and forth. You no, know, you know, I'm here to talk about in, you know, indigenous voting. And he's no, you need to, to do this story. So finally, she set aside her, as she said, you know, her kind of Toronto journalist thinking and listened to him and realized that there was a story there. There was another boy who had gone missing um, and was found, his body was found in the uh, river in the, in the Thunder Bay area. And the book really, it starts um, with the whole history. of the government, the treaties, just the abuse, uh, residential schools. At least that foundation for the reader, so they understand what's kind of, you know, where we're at, why we're here, why why these children are being sent to Thunder Bay, uh, which um, has a lot to do with, you know, the lack of funding, you know, the the treaties promised that there would be schools on these First Nations way up north. But of course, the money isn't there, you know, the the water hasn't uh, been corrected um, and cleaned. Uh, They don't have proper housing for areas that are in the permafrost that rot, and, you know, there's black mold and Families have been torn apart. These kids are being sent to Thunder Bay to uh, just finish high school. I I mean, just to go to high school to have a a chance to finish an education. And, um, you know, some of these parents, you know, they're trying to protect their children, but they also want, you know, a a, a better life for them. And in a better life, it means sending them away. And uh, it's it's a really difficult read. and I totally recommend it. So it follows uh, the deaths of six, of seven children. It actually talks about Chani Wenjack's story in there as well. They include him because uh, he was in the area as well. You know, his, his travel along the train, the railway, uh, the railroads, um, and just how these children, you know, they're kind of isolated. They, they don't know what city living is like. You know, they've come off very small communities and reserves.
1: So yeah,
2: totally recommend.
1: <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a really important read for everyone to kind mm-hmm. of know the history of all of this and know kind of the, the context and to learn and mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Yeah, and I, I really enjoyed it. It's, it reads like a narrative, um, you know, mm-hmm. There, but it is all factual. She's, she is a, and a journalist. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a little dry. Sometimes it's a little, um, you know, it's very much her point of view and very, uh, very indigenous point of view. And some and some people may not like that. Some people may not like to hear what's, you know, what people are thinking. You know, and, and uh, um, there's there's definitely a huge systemic racism problem. Um, there's a there's a huge problem in Thunder Bay. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I kind of worry at times. I have family up there and. Uh, it's just it's it's a difficult read and I think it is an important read for a lot of people just to understand you know where we're at and uh, what our future is going to be if the uh, there were there was actually a um, like a hearing after this Uh, it was brought forward you know and there were I think 146 recommendations that came out of this um, and it was just about you know, even after uh, Chani Wenjack's death, there were four five, four to six recommendations. I think it was I want to say six recommendations that were made, and one of them was to include high schools at these at these northern First Nations so that they could attend you know these schools. And none of these recommendations and this is back in the 60s were actually implemented you know they the process is there the this is even this year we're celebrating the um the royal commission um on indigenous people it's 30 years and we're still looking at you know where's the action so Mm
0: And even action to the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there have been a lot of announcements. There's been a lot of publications about it, but I haven't actually seen any action. So <laughs> yeah, it's a lot yeah. of empty words.
2: Sometimes it is. It, it, it really comes down to, you know, the government's needs. Um, you know, they have a whole land base of people here that they, they have to uh, house they have to you know a, a supply water and resources too and and where are those resources Well, they're on those far northern reserves that they tucked these first nations away on you know over 100 years ago so yeah mm-hmm. so that that brings me to another book and i didn't tell you i was going to talk about this one but um yeah it made me kind of sad but uh shelby had mentioned it, and it's called "If I Go Missing," and I wasn't I wasn't really interested in it because it's a graphic novel, but it's a quick graphic novel, and that this nipple that this book even needed to be written is such a sad statement to the history of Canada. Um, the author is Brianni Jolly, uh, with Nat uh, Nahani Shingos, and art by I want to say Shana Kapo but uh, it's a letter that. Uh, Brianni wrote she's 14 years old she's ojibwe and just that she is smart she's a good student she's a volunteer she's a daughter you know she's got all these great things going she doesn't do drugs she doesn't drink she's if she goes missing to look for her but she hasn't run away <laughs> and i thought that's such a sad that's so sad yeah mm-hmm. but really good so and it was a quick read um just a few words on every page and there's her red dress hanging in the tree.
1: Yeah. I heard about that one and that it was a graphic novelization of, of the letter that she had written. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's one that's on my list. It's, It's heavy, but I think it's again, like a necessary thing for people to be aware of and to understand that this is what people are going through and we need to be cognizant of that. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Um, you know, we talk about human trafficking, we're having an issue with human trafficking. You know, we've done um, our own training at the library about those signals. Um, and it's not just Indigenous girls anymore. You know, there's, it's, it's such a lucrative business for people. Um, and I think a lot of people need to hear this. Uh, you know, if, if a young girl goes missing, sure, maybe she's run away, but to take it seriously. And especially if they're an Indigenous person. Um, and it's not just girls. It's not just girls that are going missing. So
1: mm-hmm.
2: I see in my, I follow a few different uh, Indigenous groups on Facebook. And uh, every day there's a new face that's, you know, they're posting about. So it's a really sad situation.
1: hmm
0: And I think like June is a good opportunity to look into Indigenous history and actually what is happening to Indigenous people in Canada, but obviously this work should be going on constantly always, always, but uh, we do have some programming going on at the library in June um, to help our patrons and our public learn a little bit more about Indigenous history and uh, also not just history because Indigenous people are a living and thriving part of the Canadian community. So Sherry, do you uh, you wanna share any of the programming that we've got going on this month?
2: I was really happy to um, be asked to kind of oversee a lot of the programming this month for Indigenous Month. Everything kind of, uh, you know, we're still in that lockdown mode and still in contactless pickup mode for a lot of places. And uh, I reached out to all of the different programs. Um, The book clubs are all doing a book club read that is an Indigenous read. I read the um, adult book club they are doing From the Ashes at uh, Brooklyn. Excellent read. Jesse Thistle is the author. He's a Métis um, who, uh, you know, just lost his way the drugs the addiction the trauma you know they say that the um the residential school trauma is just uh it's just generational you know it's like a drop in the water here that's just it just keeps rippling the effect just keeps kind of moving outward and and the healing hasn't started because the healing hasn't been allowed to start yet um the uh the children's book clubs both of them were titles that uh barb and i talked about um, the we have an Indigenous uh, story time. Last year, I taught myself to sing some Ojibwe songs for story time. And I taught uh, my story time listeners how to count to 10 in Ojibwe. And it was really funny because um, I had all of my things here at the house because we were working from home more last year. And one day, my oldest well, my middle son, came home and he says, oh, what are these? And they were in a little basket and they were my numbers that I'd used for my story time. And um, I said, oh, they're how to count to 10 in Ojibwe. And he, he says, Scarf, I'm going to take these. And I said, well, do you want me to teach you how to save them? Because I've never really, really taught them because my mom didn't teach us and my dad didn't teach us. They were residential school and day school survivors. Um, they weren't allowed to speak. So, so I'm teaching me. So I taught myself how to sing um, Head and Shoulders, Knees and Toes last year. This year, I'm going to try to focus on uh, books from both uh, the First Nation, the Inuit, and the uh, Métis. I have shortlisted my stack of books down to about six now, and I have to choose at least uh, just three of them. So I'm working on that. And I am teaching myself how to do my story in Ojibwe, um, or no, actually Cree. This one is going to be a Cree story. So how to say it in Cree. And I will try it in Cree. It's not my native tongue. Um, We are Ojibwe uh, from where I'm at but uh, I think that'll be fun. And we're also working on, I reached out to Durham College. uh, The Black History Month has had a panel um, over the years that they have, um, that we've hosted here at the library. And I just thought that, you know what? We really need something uh, similar for Indigenous History Month. Um, We need to open that discussion. There are uh, quite a few Indigenous people here in the community. Plus, there's also quite a few um, First Nations in our community in the Durham region. And so I reached out to Julie uh, Pigeon at the Durham College. Uh, She has done some training with us and she is part of the liaison office uh, for the indigenous students at Durham College. And we talked about the potential for a panel and she had mentioned that Pickering Library had reached out to her as well. So our next meeting, we included Pickering Library and we started talking about this discussion panel that we wanted to do um, and it kind of grew. We now have um, all of the Durham Region Libraries on board. We have uh, OT and Durham College on board. So Ontario Tech University, uh, the Durham Region, their diversity and inclusion office is with us and um we have the student unions. So, uh, one of our first speakers will be Pam Pometer, who is a Metis, I'm not, not Metis, Mi'kmaq uh, lawyer and professor at Ryerson. She's a very um, uh, vocal uh, activist for Indigenous rights, um, treaty rights, and we're really happy. She was on my wish list but um, I wasn't sure that uh, we would have the budget to invite her along. So I'm really glad that we found some money to do that. This year is tough, of course, for a lot of us with our budgets being cut uh, during the lockdowns. And um, I think it's, really, it's going to be a really important discussion. Um, we are going to broach um, reconciliation in terms of governance, justice, health, and uh, media. We're going to be talking about uh, resilience and we are, um, we have invited the First Nations uh, leaders. So the chiefs from Skugog, uh, Georgina Island and Alderville, which are some of the territories near us and around us. Um, we are going to be doing a resistance. So land defenders and activists, uh, water defenders, um, And then our resurgence, so the excellence in our community. So people who are doing well, you know, whether they're writers, they're artists, they're sports stars, they're business people. And we've put out invites for that as well. So it's become one discussion panel has become a four part series and we're really looking forward to it. It's kind of exciting as it grows. Yeah, so that's, I think that's gonna be one of our biggest events this year for indigenous and it's gonna last through the summer. So every three three weeks, it will be a new event.
1: that's awesome. I'm glad to see that it, it grew so much. Like it, it mm-hmm. went from just one to four. Like that's amazing.
2: I was kind of worried at first because it was just going to be one. <laughs> like, okay, we'll let, it, we'll, we'll let it be what it's going to be. And it was funny because at our last meeting, that was something that Julie said, um, you know, when we were kind of worried about the date because the date is coming up. And, and one, of the, um, one of the people from uh, Ontario Tech, uh, a non-Indigenous um, collaborator, And Julie said, you got to understand, you know, the spirit will do what the spirit will do and it will get done and it'll be what it is supposed to be. And that's just the way that Indigenous thinking and belief is. is, And and she kind of put that across, right? And and I was reminded that, yes, things will work out the way it's meant to work out. Um, We'll get the speakers that we're supposed to have. We'll get the voices that we're supposed to hear and it will work (laughs) and it will be ready for when it needs to be ready (laughs) So yes, the spirit will do what the spirit will do.
1: <laughs> and actually, I think I have the date. It's uh, June 17th for the first panel, correct? Yes,
2: our first panel is on June 17th. June 17th. Yes, it'll be in the evening. Um, we're gonna be doing registration. It'll be kind of um, a local registration through our group. Our uh, are um, Durham Indigenous Voices is what we've called ourselves. Uh, it will be through um, Eventbrite through the college's portal. Uh, we will have that link through each of the libraries. Each of the libraries will have um, the link through their own registrations. And the promotions will, are starting to go out. Um, I know we've pus- pushed ours this week. Uh, there will be posters and things that will be coming. And I think it'll be really important. Um, Julie um, said that, you know, we should have quite a few people. We have, it'll be a Zoom meeting, of course, because we are still virtual. Uh, when I think we'll have like 400 original registration spots and then it will overflow into YouTube live and Facebook live from there. So there won't be anybody who will miss out if they are truly interested in listening and hearing, um, you know, from the Indigenous voices here in the Durham region, then definitely um, I hope that they'll be able to attend and listen and ask questions. There'll be some interaction. So, yeah.
0: that's fantastic. (laughs) And I'm so sorry, we forgot to ask you this before, but Sherry, can you tell us a little bit about um, your history in uh, indigenous libraries and indigenous library programs as well?
2: Sure. Um, I kind of fell into library work. I've always been a library user. I have been a reader since the time I was, you know, I could tumble into the library. Um, My favorite person in school was my librarian um I actually uh just loved being there I loved kind of going through the books it was just a place a quiet place you know I didn't have to worry about anybody watching me or you know other than the librarian you know I got to read what I wanted to read I got to pull out any books and I love to see children doing that you know where they get to you know nobody's kind of got a time constraint on them where it's like you know we got to go in five minutes as I got to look through the shelves and just pull out books. Um, and then when we were children, my sisters and brothers and I used to walk across to the public library and it was the same thing. Now the librarians there were kind of, you know, they were those older ladies that were, you know, <laughs> kind of librarians. Um, but they were always really helpful. So in that same sense, I used to love, you know, going to the library. So, um, I moved home back in 1996 and I literally, uh, moved home for a job on the reserve. I'd never lived on reserve. We actually never lived on reserve. Um, we belonged to, and um, I started working with an afterschool program and then the library job came open. And so I applied for the library job and got it. I was with First Nations Libraries at my First Nation at Mississauga uh, for probably about seven years. And I absolutely loved it. I loved cl- building the collection, um, you know, uh, finding those reads that would get children to read, uh, finding those books for parents and making a place that was safe for families to come to. Uh, we had a lot of children, of course, who had to leave the community to go away to school. And we were part of the early um, uh, Gates Foundation, uh, you know, pulling, putting together um community websites, the CAP website, the Com- Cap community access program web- um, sites, not websites, sites. And I was involved in, um, you know, it was early. So 1996, we were like T1 connections and making sure that we had internet connections in the community, you know, for everybody. And I remember at the time hearing a story, Industry Canada's goal at that point was to make Canada the most connected. And there was a story about a First Nation up around the James Bay area, and they got a grant to run lines, cable lines from house to house, basically through windows, so that people could access the internet up in the northern areas. And it was so fun to hear. And we were just so busy and active. And I absolutely loved it. It was all about, you know, finding money and finding grants and building um, these these areas. Because the internet was so new back then we were teaching teaching online safety and, you know, and I laugh now because of course, back then it was like, you don't put your name online. You don't put your phone online. You don't put your information online. And then boom, there's Facebook and, and you put everything (laughs) online, right? You put everything, all your relations are there and all your friends. And so, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And so first nations libraries at the time, um, we, we initiated a first nations library week. The um, we had it like a, a first nations read week. And it was, we put it in, Mar- in February at the time, but I see that it's moved back to around October. So about the same time we run our public library week. Um, our, our original intent was that, you know, it's so the winter months that a lot of families are, you know, inside because during the summers and stuff, they're, they're preparing, right, for the winters. And um, this is the time that they would be doing storytelling. So this would be a great time to have it. Uh, So I was active in um, a lot of that early kind of just building uh, community um, web bases, websites, uh, all that early stuff. I really enjoyed it. And coming down here uh, was out of necessity um, and I love what I do here. I love being, you know, that person who helps and I have a story, Um, it was funny, I have a teacher friend whose two sons were doing the, uh, probably I think grade two or grade three, they do a First Nations, like Indigenous study, and like you mentioned, you know, we're still here, but a lot of it is history, you know, we're talking historical Indian, and we're not talking that, you know, that geez sherry works in the library and she's indigenous and he came home he's like so excited about this study that they're doing about this historical indian and 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 the mother says um well you know an indigenous person like you you talk to her every time we go to the library he's like who who and he's like sherry sherry is indigenous (laughs) and so you know the next time he came in i was like with this look of wonder on his face and it was so sweet so you know I get that I and I don't mind that I I, as long as they're respectful questions I don't mind if somebody approaches me and and sometimes we're learning together because I didn't know about residential school either you know um it wasn't something my parents talked about even though they were victims of it so so we're learning (laughs) and uh, I don't mind that
0: (laughs) absolutely and I think um just what you're saying about like you know you're still here indigenous people are still here thank god um and i think it's you know what i was saying before as well like it's important not just to do um this thinking and this researching and this learning just in june it should be happening always and um that's why (laughs) we decided to do indigenous history this month and we did um pride reads back in March because we wanted to set aside June specifically for um, Indigenous history. But uh, just wanted to note that we also do have some pride programs going on at the library this month. Um, So we also have uh, a drag queen story time going on on June 16th. And so it's important to celebrate gay pride and Indigenous pride and all of, and Black history and everything at all months of the year. But because this month is Pride Month as well as Indigenous History Month, um, I thought we could talk a little bit about some uh, queer uh, Indigenous writing that's coming out right now. So, um, I mean, the book that I just mentioned earlier, Johnny Appleseed, this is an excellent, uh, oh, yay. Yeah, it's so good and we're getting it as a book club set at the library as well. So I think it, it's a, it's such a good read. And um, I think it really is an excellent look at what it actually, like, not that I would know, but what it actually means to be an indigenous queer person in today's day and age, you know, like all the history to reconcile with and then all the future ahead. And um, I took a course when I was in my undergrad That was uh, specifically about Indigenous futurisms. And there's a lot of literature coming out right now about Indigenous futures and uh, what that looks like. And a lot of it intersects with queer stories as well. So there's um, an anthology series, uh, an anthology book of short stories uh, about queer sci fi futurisms and uh, indigenous futurisms. And it's called Love Beyond Body, Space and Time. I don't have a copy of it here, but we are getting it at the library. Um, And that has a whole bunch of uh, indigenous authors from uh, all over Canada um, discussing queer stories. And one of the authors in that um, anthology is uh, Sherry Dimeline, who wrote The Marrow Thieves. Um, which is another great book, and it has great queer representation, and it is a sci-fi, futuristic, uh, dystopian novel, and it is technically a YA read, but it reads like adult fiction, I would say, just with a happy-ish ending, Um, and it's, I think this touches on a lot of uh, really important issues right now, because it's the the premise of the story is in the future um indigenous people of north america are being hunted by white people to have their bone marrow harvested because white people have lost the ability to dream and indigenous people still hold that ability to dream and white people have found out that if they harvest the bone marrow then they can return they they, they can get dreams back and i think it really touches on that idea of like what more can colonizers take, do? Right. What, what more can they take from indigenous people? And so I think um, the futuristic indigenous literature is a really important um, genre right now because it just looks at what direction are we actually headed, you know? So um, do you have any other picks for sci-fi? Interest? I really
2: enjoyed um, the moon on the crested snow, I believe it's yeah. called um rice wabagijic rice yes uh we did it for book club uh last year with um the brooklyn branch and it was kind of a, a apocalyptic uh book there's you know this this northern community and i believe it's ontario um because they talk about some of the kids have gone away to school, you know, they're down in the city and they're further North and, you know, they've just gotten their cell towers in place. So they've got uh, Wi-Fi regularly Um, and their phone lines go down and the high, the power goes down. So the hydro goes off and they think it's just, you know, a one day thing. So they wait, they wait for, you know, word that, you know, it's going to come back on and nothing happens and days go by. And then they realize that, you know, maybe there's something really wrong and, you know they've got their food stores on the on this uh, First Nation that you know this just in case kind of thing, um, and it's a real um, not just a, a you know that that colonizer um, Indigenous argument, but also you know the traditional life and the children who are living a more Western life. Um, and how we would survive uh, in a, an apop- apocalyptic event. You know, I'm a huge uh, Walking Dead fan, funnily, uh, but I love, I love dystopian and apocalyptic fiction. I've all, I always have. And the, um, the idea that, you know, they should be able to survive. We survived on this continent, you know, for thousands of years. But they have these children who would rather you know they're 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 angry because they can't play their games anymore or they can't get on the internet and, you know talk to their friends and and then you have the, the traditional people who you know get to it they go out there fishing they're hunting they're doing their thing that they need to do um, so it was really really quite a good book uh, I would totally recommend it. it we do have a book club set it was also I believe a hoopla kind of community read at the time as well so. So there was that. And um, I did read the Johnny Appleseed book and I really liked it. And I wanted to make a comment to it in terms of the, uh, the queer, you know, two-spirited. Um, when we did the training a while back with uh, Julie Pigeon on, um, you know, residential schools and just that whole early, uh, that part of breaking down the community. One of the things that she mentioned about two-spirited people, because of course, you know this is this is I've heard of them too um more in just that kind of in in terms of the gay community not not that the two-spirited people were actually given governance positions because they could think both in a male and a female way and that was a that was a special thing um so I thought this was a really good book it was a little gritty at times um, Definitely, you know, uh, I, I don't see it being everybody's favorite read, but I think it's an important read. Uh, there's just so much to say about what's happening in Canada and uh, about Indigenous issues. And I think that um, just opening that conversation and keeping that conversation going is really important. And uh, the fiction, the literature that's coming out right now, you know, is so top-notch, Um uh, one of the first reads that when I was saying what I was thinking about choosing, one of the first reads I think I read um, as a teenager was "The Education of Little Tree," and then I did um, "In Search of April Rain Tree." Uh, so there was some there was some early fiction there, um, and there have been authors along the way. Um, it's just that it's growing. Um, there's just more voices. We're educating more of our children. Um, people are taking those voices seriously. You know, and, and that's a good thing. Those are those are some things that, you know, are positive in all of this. You know, when, uh, when sometimes it feels like such a struggle. You know, they talk about suicide pacts in some of these northern communities. And it's good to remain hopeful. Um, you know, that, that one day we will come through this, you know, uh, the United Nations um, respects the indigenous rights in Canada and um, advocates for the indigenous rights in Canada. The, the constitution has our, uh, our indigenous rights are in, inside the constitution. So every time these things come up, you know, when the government fights the indigenous people it comes back that it's our right. Like the Supreme Court always finds in favor of the indigenous because we have these rights that are entrenched in the constitution. So so one day, you know, our relationship will be be positive. Um, It's gonna take a lot of struggle. And we have, I think we still have a few generations before we'll get there. Um, Hopefully, you know, sooner than later. But when it comes down to resources, you know, this country is always going to need resources. You know, there is always going to be land that we're going to need, and there is always going to be oil or gas or water or something else that will be, you know, will be necessary. And when the land belongs to, um, you know, the the in- inherently to the indigenous people, there is always going to be that struggle. And until people realize, until there is some understanding. Of what those treaties mean when we sign them with with the government and with the crown, well, with the crown really, because it's it's a crown. Um, Then I think there will be some understanding in the population of why you know we we're at where we're at and why we're they have so much resistance right now with the Indigenous people against. Um, There's in in the news again Kanesataki, which was the big uh, um, you know protest back in the 90s at Oka. you know, they're trying to cut down trees on um, indigenous land. And it's just, it just seems never ending. But one day, you know, our children now are learning. Um, children in general, not my just my children, but children are learning in school. They are learning about indigenous rights. They're learning about, and like you, you're at school. You know, you learned about a lot of these things through your classes. So it's there, and that little seed is is going to grow, and I I'm hopeful.
0: (laughs) So. And uh, how do you feel about, um, you know, we are learning more in classrooms. We are learning about the history of, um, the real history of Canada, of Indigenous Canada. Um, So how do you think the new Indigenous literature, the fiction and nonfiction that's coming out, how do you think it impacts um, our perception of Canada that has been taught in schools?
2: I think a lot of people are surprised. Um, when I was doing some research on my book, uh, fallen seven fallen feathers, uh, just reading even some of the reviews, people are shocked even talking to some of the families here, you know, their kids come home and they've mentioned residential schools. And, um, I think people are just unaware, you know, because the history wasn't there for them and raising that awareness raises the um the information it increases not in rate it increases the information uh that's available um the true story starts coming out you know you can't keep the truth down that and that's just it like you can you can try and they the government has tried you know to bury that truth for a long time and um i think that i think that people uh will be more supportive. There's been a lot of uh, allies created recently, um, in the last probably 10-20 years, you know, people who are seeing that what's happened is wrong, and are now supporting the indigenous rights. And I think, you know, once that kind of gets out there, it builds and it grows. And you can't you can't continue to be ignorant about it and you can't continue to live in that um, bliss you know of thinking that you know Canada is this great country it is it's it's a wonderful country you know Um, but it needs to fix its relationship with its uh, with its treaty partners definitely Mm
1: -hmm. I think it's interesting too because I mean as we were saying there's a lot of um new fiction coming out and there's a lot of um like i've seen a lot of new picture books i've seen a lot of new um like children's fiction and teen fiction coming out too so it's wonderful that we're getting more adult fiction as well that um like we can be learning about it but our our kids and the youth are learning about it too and they're learning in school but then they're also able to translate that into um what they're reading as well i mean I uh, recently read a graphic novel series um, called A Girl Called Echo, and it follows um, a Métis girl who, um, whenever she falls asleep, she um, kind of travels back in time, and she's meeting um, her ancestors, and she's meeting other people in um, the community where she's living, but hundreds of years ago, and she's learning firsthand what they went through, and um, she's kind of bringing that back to Um, her school this is she she's kind of dreaming what they're learning about in history class Um, she also falls asleep during history class a few times and and (laughs) her dreams kind of supplement the lessons but um, she's able to bring that back to um, her class and her life and she starts kind of questioning her teachers and her family and um, it's it's great that we're able to have these stories and a lot of different ways of um, interacting with them like there is the nonfiction there's the fiction and then there's also the graphic novel like there's there's a lot of um, applications for it so it's
2: great and represent representation is really important Um, Mm -hmm. we know uh, you know when when we have more books more diverse books it's helpful for the black community it's helpful for our Asian community it's helpful for our um, Indian community anybody who is a minority Um, you know even women when we see more books about young girls who you know who are heroes and hero or heroines. Um, this is great. So seeing uh, indigenous people on the cover, you know, little brown children. Uh, this is perfect. So it it really really helps, and it gives um, it gives hope. And, and this is important. It, it gives that idea that you know you're okay, you're enough, uh, and you know there's there's a future for your voice, for your dreams too.
1: Yeah. That's
2: wonderful. And I sometimes it's hard to find indigenous books in our collection. Um, you know, sometimes you have to look specifically for, um, maybe it's Ojibwe or maybe it's Cree or maybe it's Blackfoot or, you know, Haida or Tlingit or Micmac. or the, um, the new catalog has really been helpful because if you type in indigenous now, um, it pulls up a lot of the titles and, um, you know, Indian is still used in the collection because it's still a legal term. Uh, The government still uses it. It's still the Indian Act. Um, One day, hopefully that will change. Uh, But we have a lot of great nonfiction. Um, We have some wonderful, there's this whole series called Coast to Coast to Coast. And it goes through um, quite a few different, uh subjects cultural appropriation residential schools the 60s scoop spirituality uh, governance um treaties protesters actually really really a good series so i'm i'm just some really good that's a children's section in the children's collection i mean uh in the adult collection we have clearing the plains we have um indigenous relations we have 21 questions uh, you sh- or 21 things you should know about the Indian Act. Uh, just some really good stuff coming out like uh, Kate had mentioned, and not just in fiction. So we have some wonderful uh, nonfiction books. And let me do a quick little uh, promotion here. Uh, we do have the new Pampometer uh, book called Warrior Life. And this has just come out. So I have it sitting here. So You'll have to wait for it. <laughs> um, she really is a strong voice. She does have her own book club, uh, which is really interesting. Um, so it's an Indigenous book club. So if you're interested in checking it out, uh, she runs it through her uh, Facebook group and her, um, her own kind of blog. So, yeah.
1: Awesome. And I mean, so. hey, if you're interested in any of the books that Sherry has there or anything else <laughs> in the collection, place a hold on it. You can pick it up at contact yeah. with pickup at any of the locations.
0: And I think it's important also that you were highlighting um, kids nonfiction as well, Sherry, because I think you know if you're looking for something more accessible, maybe um, you know something that really like just takes you down to the basics before you want to build on. Like adults should access children's nonfiction too. There's a there's a new one that <laughs> Sherry and I were looking at at the library the other day called Treaty Words by Amy Craft. Um, and it's illustrated by Luke Swinson, who did this uh, piece right behind me. Um, his father was from uh, Skugog Nation, and now he lives in Kitchener. It's the the book itself. I haven't gone through it all because it was on hold for someone else in the library, but I'm on hold for it now. Um, but it really sort of goes down into the to the basics and to the fundamentals of what our treaties actually mean and. I think that's really important and it's important that we have that information in an accessible format. Um, so I think, uh, that's another good one in our collection to check out.
2: And I almost forgot, um, about our story walks. Um, we have a partnership with the town of Whitby and our outreach, um, librarian Mallory has created two story walks, um, that will include indigenous titles this spring, this summer. And one of them is, uh, Thompson highways, um, Uh, dragonfly kites, which is one of the, one of my favorites. Um, So I definitely hope that people get a chance to go out and have a look and see uh, around the community what's happening.
1: Yeah, some safe, socially distanced reading and learning. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Sherry, for joining us on this episode. Um, Just want to remind everyone, if you are looking for something new to read, we have lots of great programs at the library. You can check out our Uh, WPL suggests where we have lots of great lists, we have, we'll have a list up there for everything we talked about in this podcast episode, as well as lists that other staff of the library have created. Um, We also have library to go kits that I think all of us are involved in creating. So if you want something, uh, we have library to go kits for kids and for adults. Um, You can fill out a form, give us a little bit of information about what you're interested in, and we will create a surprise kit for you. Um, We also have Summer Reading clubs. So our TD Summer Reading Club is starting on June 19th. You can register um, and that will go all summer long. We have an online portion this year as well where you can log all of your reading um, and you can get some great prizes. You can get beads as well from the library when you log your reading. Um, So that's it. We'll see you all next month. Have a great day. Bye everyone. Thanks so much. Bye.